Let me be your ruler, ruler. You can call me Queen Bee. <laughs> I can be listening to that since ever since I decided I'm gonna cover this topic. That is the song by Lord or Lord Day. How do you pronounce her name? Has she had other music than royals? Yeah. And my favorite part of that song is when she goes as if she is howling. And she goes into a rule, I rule, I rule, I rule. Hi, this is by all means necessary. It's not X Factor. Luckily for all of you, truly, honestly. And I'm your, your host, Maya. This is a podcast. And if, like everybody else in the world, you have been watching The Crown and binging on The Crown in Netflix, wow, that was a nice generalization. Like, yeah, just assume that everybody listening to this episode has watched The Crown. Spoiled it all, bitch. Well, it's four seasons upon us on The Crown. And as I have been watching it, I was like, you know what? This is this isn't brand. And there are so many people around the world just obsessed with royals. They just want to know any story about royalty. And then as I watched different episodes, I was like, wait. I had a completely different plan for this month. It was it was equally weird. But yeah, I had a completely different plan. I was like, hey, this might be a thing. Let's see what true crime versus royalty has to offer. Who has tried to attack royal family? And boy, there's, there are lists. There are lists of weird people. But this episode is going to focus on one particular story. And if you have watched this new season of The Crown, there was a whole episode committed to it. And that's the one of the breaking into the Buckingham Palace. And the person that basically just wandered around and tried to live his best life for as many minutes as he could possibly do. He tried to be royal. He was doing Lord, but... As it was in the past, he didn't understand like she did that that kind of luck just ain't for us. This episode is going to be committed to the break-in of Michael Fagan into the Buckingham Palace. And it's going to burst a lot of myths. Just because when watching The Crown, I was kind of like, I don't like portrayal of a lot of people. And uh, some of it is heavily dramatized. And especially with this episode, I was like, there is no, there's absolutely no way that this has happened. In a way that I thought, like, maybe the breaking didn't happen, and I tried, I was like, oh, it did. Okay, cool, and then completely invent the story. But then everything else surrounding, I was like, really? He just sat and had a tea with the queen? Yeah, there's a lot of myths around that episode in general that are going to be busted. So let's go. Michael Fagan broke into the Buckingham Palace, not once, but twice. In the summer of 1982, he decided he had to get into the Queen Elizabeth chambers by all means necessary. What were his motives? professional human being don't you laugh at me don't you laugh this this, this is my job imagine if you actually paid me to do this that that would be wonderful thank you very much for doing that hey yes i'm wearing my own merch go get it cool so today 
Guess what? Guess whose shoes are you in today? Yeah, the majesty, the majesty herself. For one day, you obsessive freaks are gonna get to be the queen and experience everything that the queen has experienced. So let's go. So you're the majesty yourself, right? You have the whole bed to yourself because uh, your husband, Philip, just doesn't sleep in the same bed with you apparently awkwardly. Nobody mentions the real reasons behind that. But, you know, you're like, yo, I, like I'm the queen. I have the same privileges other people have. I sleep in my bed myself. I can roll around. I can play it. It's a king-size bed. It's a queen-size bed. Mm. Making sure I use all of the space of this bed, right? As you are rich, because you're a queen, again, you live in a palace. You can have that deep sleep. Scientists do recommend, like, you sleep with your blinds down. Or, yes, if you're the queen, you just block yourself out from the sunshine. You have that deep sleep. And suddenly... Somebody just draws those curtains and you think it's Philip, right? Because that that would be a normal thing. But it's early. It's like seven in the morning. You're like, uh, I'm the queen. Like, I can have a lion, bitch. Like, Philip, what do you want? And then you slowly start opening your eyes. And you realize that you have never seen this man. And he's just like sitting there at the edge of the bed. You're like, okay, who the hell are you? That's That's what you ask. Well, actually, once she pulled back the curtain, she said, what are you doing here? And then, according to Michael Fagan, she just tries to, like, talk to you, but she immediately goes to the security phone on her bedstand to call the security. However, nobody comes, because if you have watched the part of The Crown, this is the part that's sort of correct. There was, like, a security guard switch, and the guard that was supposed to be, like, standing in front of her door just went out to, you know, walk her corgi, whatever the dog breed is that she had, which is wild to think about but this is what happens with human kind of security right it's fallible it's it's messed up like it's humans they're gonna want to have a break they're gonna want to pee they're gonna want to have the security guard switch and not wait for one another there's always gonna be a gap but this guy didn't know that this is not like some smart coordinated attack that's what you need to know he just broke into the palace then just wandered around found Queen's Chambers, and then what did he do? He thought that the bed was too small. So he was like, this can't be Queen's bed. So he just wanted to confirm it. I know that this sounds creepy to you and me, but the man just wanted to confirm it. So he pulled the curtains back and he was like, oh, well, I was wrong. This is the Queen. Hi, Queen. What's up, Lizzie? So he said while they're waiting for the guy, she did talk to him like normal. Well, he said, I sound a bit common, so maybe not like that, but very normal. I love how he is modest, at least there. He's like, I'm not at this level, but I try. I try to speak the same language. Like, we speak the same language. She's just the queen and I'm just like a peasant. So because this person that's not called the guard, it's called the footman, it's the queen, right? Was outside exercising the dogs. And the maid was cleaning in another room with the door closed, so the noise of the work would not disturb her. Like, <laughs> okay, this maid is like, listen, I know I work for the Buckingham Palace, but I have my own priorities to sort out. The noise just disturbs me. Her Majesty's security comes as a second priority. It's all great. So when the queen tried to call, obviously nobody answered the call, and then she tried to use this night alarm bell, which is connected to the corridor, again, if she needs something. But again, that didn't attract anybody's attention because the maid is working behind the closed doors because of her noise issues. I love how people have noise issues. I can't sit in silence for like a goddamn second. I have to have something playing. And some people are just like, no, I like to work and sit in a complete silence. Those people are slight sociopaths. Okay, cool. Just, just had to have that clear. 
of course, some parts will kind of go into the legend because it's only what actually was going on through Queen's mind and how she decided to get out of that situation. But what Fagan said about the event is she used the phone on the website table to call security, but when nobody came, she got out of bed. And then this is the best line of this fucking whole episode. Her nightie was one of those liberty prints and it was down to her knees. She said, just one minute, I'll get someone, swept past me and ran out of the room, her little bare feet running across the floor. I just absolutely love what this guy was noticing about this whole situation. He was just like looking behind her and what did he see? Just like her bare feet, just, you know, the queen doing the, trying to not move in the slow-mo version, but like try to actually speed up this way. Yeah, that was, that was something, wasn't it? So she finally actually managed to go out and find a maid. And he wasn't stopping her. He wasn't doing anything. He was just chilling in the bed. He was like, hey. I'm in Buckingham Palace, bitch. <laughs> like, this is the life. Which, again, you kind of must think about when you think about why he did it. He was just there. He just lived for that whole moment. Oh, the maid is there, obviously, and they're all trying to be like, <laughs> we're not panicking, we have it under control, this is all great, how the hell did you break in? It's all cool. So they usher him into the pantry, into the pantry, on the pretext of supplying him with a cigarette, and then, according to Fagan, the returning footman took the bottle of the famous goose whiskey and just poured him a glass. And he was like, yeah, this is this is the best life. I'm probably getting arrested like any second now. So the, the whiskey it is. His interviews are just the best. So the footman came and said, core fucking hell, mate. You look like you need a drink. I'm stressed, man. Like, let me give you a drink because I'm stressed. Like, I just messed up. Michael to that said, his name was Paul Weibro, which is a funny name for someone offering you a drink in it. He he ain't wrong. If every barman's last name was Weibro, you would trust that barman with pouring you a drink, with mixing it up for you, with the choice of whiskey that he gives you. So he just took his chance. He took his opportunity. So I'm just going to proceed. This this whole episode is going to be Michael Fagan's quotes. I'm, I'm sorry, the majesty, but you didn't really like, you know give a statement about this event otherwise i'll be using your quote so <laughs> he said quote he took me to the queen's pantry across the landing where i presume she cooks her baked beans and toast and whatever and takes a bottle of a famous grouse what's the thing called famous grouse okay famous grouse cool <laughs> i don't know whiskey from the shelf and pours me a glass of whiskey i'm gonna get in there one direction, nothing's going to stop me. Through St. James Park, up over the wall, into the palace, saying good morning to the servants as I'm walking past them. I don't know how the hell I found the room. Really don't know how people have said to me, you know, how did you find it out of all those rooms? Really don't know. I'm in the Queen's bedroom, so to make sure it's the Queen, I walk to the window because she's looking very small in her bed. She was asleep, was she? Yeah. All past it, but it looks too small to be the queen, so I go, go over and I draw the curtain back just to make sure. And suddenly she sat up, What are you doing here? So I said, Well, I was dumbstruck to be honest. I just I was thinking what to say. I said, get out, get out. She jumped out of bed, What are you doing here? and walked out of the room. So I stood there, maybe I sat on the corner. It's about long conversations. I mean, a lot has been said about what we're knowing that from. 
this is the truth. Nothing. She just said, get out. And that was it. The footman came in. He said to me, you look like you need a drink, mate. You come over here, I'll pour you a drink. Two policemen come and one of them said to me, well, what's your name then, son? The other one nodded in agreement as if to say, that's right, that's the question you asked. So I, I said, my name's um, Michael Hess. Then I carried on. I said, then my father's Rudolph Hess and he's in Spandau. And they looked at each other and said, oh my God, what have we got here? So I just think there was a rebellion going on in my head. Do you think you were actually trying to get caught when you went in that second time? Yeah. Just to make that statement, you know, I am. As always, we're going to leave Fagan now drinking his whiskey and go back to how did this crime begin? How did it happen? Was it a crime? And then return to this moment and see if he's going to get his ass arrested. Is he going to end up in prison for this? As I mentioned, he did break into the Buckingham Palace on one other occasion. And this was actually only like a few weeks before this event. And what he had to say about the breaking on this occasion, because again, he made it to like the personal chambers. So, according to Scotland Yard's report, that was re-given, reproduced in the New York Times, Fagan climbed the railings near the ambassador's entrance at around 6.45 a.m. And then hidden behind this temporary canvas, he entered the palace itself through the unlocked window on the ground floor. Humans are fallible, even at the freaking Buckingham Palace. The room he climbed into, he realized, was King George V's multi-million pound stamp collection. I love how there is a room in Buckingham Palace. There are that many rooms. They're that bored that they have a whole ass room dedicated to a freaking hobby that is, nonetheless, that stamp collection. Now, of course, you're thinking, well, this would must have triggered some alarms. Come on, this is like somebody's precious hobby collection room that he has just went into. And yes, he did trigger two alarms. But the security guards who were like, it's surely like, what, what do you mean? It's King George's fifth like, stamp collection. Like, they, who cares about this room? Nah. So they just like kind of brushed them off. They're like, yep, switch this off. It's not a security bridge. Then Fagan realized he decides to seek higher ground. So he goes up a drain pipe outside the room and onto like this small flat roof above. And this provided him with the access to the office of the Master of the Household, or Vice Administrator Sir Peter Ashmore. And what they did show on the, on the crown is that he was actually spotted by this maid, by like the member of the household. But she, again, just didn't care enough to raise the alarm. He was like, oh yeah, just another member of the staff this early in the morning. Must be. Who else would be in the Buckingham Palace at like 7 a.m.? Then he was following the pictures on the wall and eventually found a way to the private apartments. Then he entered the anteroom. Let's see if that's correct. Anteroom. Anteroom. <laughs> Which I have had to Google, as you can tell. And that is the antechamber. So helpful. Which is basically a waiting room, but like in, in rich people's environments. His version of this event is, I found rooms saying Diana's room, Charles's room. They all had names on them, but I couldn't find a door which said WC. He was looking for a toilet. Come on, he was drunk. He was looking for a toilet. All I found were some bins with corgi food written on them. I was breaking my neck to go to the toilet. What do I do? Pee on the carpet. So I had to pee on the corgi food. 
I, I bet there were some pots, like some plants, something. You had to pee on the corgi food. Then pee on the carpet. Like, what? Like, if you pee on the carpet, they might blame it on the dog. I mean, the dog doesn't deserve it, but, you know, that's not what I'm saying. It's like, how is this your logic? This is some drunk-ass logic, I tell you. This is this is the definite proof that this guy was drunk. He's like, I'm going to piss on someone's food. Even that, that food is a dog's food, I'm going to piss on the dog's food. And then when he was in those private chambers, he said, I got into Charles's room and took the wine off the shelf and drunk it. It was cheap Californian. Okay, sorry, sir. The wine is not up to your standards. I love how thieves are like, listen, this was cheap. Like, I expected better out of you royalty family. Like, fuck, they get a grip on yourselves. I was loving it, he recalled. It was like Goldilocks and the free bears. I tried one throne and was like, this one is too soft. <laughs> I was having a laugh to myself because there was one right next to it. So I tried another. So you're just going from like sofa to sofa, trying them out. Which I mean, uh, wh- wouldn't you do it? Like, if you had the chance to break into the Buckingham Palace, wouldn't you do that? Don't do this now, it's a criminal offense, we're gonna talk about it later, not giving you ideas, just just have to, like, drop that in. So eventually here, he just left, evading, again, evading the security, just relatively at ease, like, again, nobody spotted him. And in fact, he decided to go and break in again on July the 9th. With a crown, the story again made it to the news, and people were comparing the events from, like, the previous interviews, and I think they kind of, like, interviewed him again, just to double-check a couple of facts, see, like, hey, did we get anything wrong? They actually didn't. He actually complained that he was never consulted you could say yeah he was never consulted he was not a consultant when they were making the crown and he was quite pissed off about that he was pissed off about a lot of things but i think the one thing that stuck out to michael fagan was the actor that was portraying him because questionably so but i can agree with him on this point the actor was uglier than michael fagan was at the time So, yeah, he was pissed off about that. Now that people have compared a few things, let's go through the stuff that was incorrect. Unlike the portrayal in The Crown, he actually said he wasn't avoiding anybody. He was looking for the queen. He had a target. This guy was just like, I'm here. I might as well see the lady of the house. If anybody had turned up, I would have just said I wanted to talk to her. Which would have probably gone so swell. Like, he would have probably never even had a chance to, like, to see the queen had he broken in at, like, a later time of the day. So, hey, good timing, Michael Fagan. Not supporting this, not supporting this in any way, shape, or form. If Her Majesty is watching. Don't cancel this podcast. Thank you. In The Crown, he smashes a valuable vase. He smashes a valuable vase, but he said that this scene is totally made up since he would have paid if he'd broken anything. Again, the guy has morals. He's there for one goal and one goal only. He's not there to, like, break shit. Also, because now now this is where we're going. We're going to the small details. The character on the crown finished the whole bottle of wine when he went to the Charles's private thing. Pagan. Banger did not. He finished only half of it. Very important. Let's have the facts straight, guys. Also, the viewers of The Crown witnessed Fagan asking the Queen for a cigarette, which he said he would have never done because that would be cheeky or disrespectful. He's not. He's there for one purpose. He doesn't care about all these side things. And the best quote ever. Quote, I was taken aback when I saw Brooke playing me. 
They could have surely found someone who looked a bit like me. I'm actually better looking and he seems totally charmless. End quote. Say them, tell them, Fagan. Tell them that the casting for the casting for Crown hurt me on so many levels. I know that this part particularly because again it was like the whole episode based on you. So I understand how this hurt you. But a lot of other characters, they, they twisted it around. They're a lot prettier than the members of the royal family in real life. Like, I discovered I have a complete crush on the actress that played Camilla. I googled her, I checked her social media. It's great. And her name is Emerald in real life. She's so beautiful. Like, her pace is just parallel. And then I googled Camilla in real life, even at that time, and I was like, mm mm. No. <laughs> Charles never ages in that series. What is that all about? Charles is literally like 20 when he was supposed to be like 50. I was like, okay, they didn't even change the act. Nope. Still him. Still him. No gray hair. No, still. Nope. The actress that played Diana, not to mention again, a lot prettier than the people would. I understand people looked differently as well, but then they were trying to fit those looks in. And with some people, they nailed it. Helen Bottom Carter, Margaret, nailed it. Love that woman. The Princess Anne, again, like, nailed it visually as well. So I was like, how did you nail it so well? With, like, a couple of characters, Margaret Thatcher, Gillian. This is actually why I watched, I skipped, like, the whole last season. I watched it for the portrayal of Thatcher. But I had so many characters, they flipped it around, and they found, like, a lot prettier actors, you know, for casting. And then they did Michael Fagan dirty, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen, you, you kind of broke into Buckingham but I, I don't think, like, you should have expected, you know, like, I don't know, Eddie Redmayne to play or somebody. Redmayne isn't, like, hot, hot, who? I can't think of British actors on top of my head. <laughs> so now when you lost all the respect for the crown, if you have, I don't know, fantasized that it is a completely legit, 100% correct show, why was this even used. For me, I was surprised that it was a whole ass episode, but then I understood it. As in, like, I understood what the point was, like, what point they were trying to make with, obviously, Margaret Thatcher's England and all that. And they discuss where he lives, as well as that Thatcher is becoming, like, very presidential and too bossy, how she's affecting unemployment, for example. Like, the whole point of this plot was, like, him going in for, like, unemployment benefits, him discussing, like, the custody of his children, again, showing him, like, how he's drinking, how he's suffering at the time, because of everything that's happening in England at a time. And I mean, I kind of hope that Fagan understands why they portrayed that he actually had conversation with the Queen, because he's kind of, during that conversation, trying to get her to understand, like, what Thatcher is doing to the country, and trying to, well, get her to see from that perspective, and then, like, we kind of speed up to her actually having that conversation with the Prime Minister, and trying to get her to see it from that perspective, because she came from the working-class family, but again, leads nowhere, so great. And as the security bursts into the room, the queen shakes his hand and tells him, I shall bear in mind what you've said. And he's like, yeah, this is not going to lead anywhere. We as viewers are kind of made to feel like, okay, this might lead anywhere, because there's a whole point. They made a whole episode on this. And later we see, like, Thatcher's perspective and then the queen's perspective. And Margaret is obviously apologizing, saying, like, how this troublemaker resorted to violence. And the queen is like, yeah, he wasn't actually violent at all. 
You should kind of consider how you're treating like the working class people. The queen said the only person he hurt was himself. While he may be a troubled soul, I don't think he's entirely to blame for it himself. And the Thatcher said like, and I found this to be, I don't know, the line that just describes Thatcher's whole strategy in life. If unemployment is temporarily high, it is a necessary side effect to the medicine we are administering to the British economy. So, but is it really though? (laughs) You know, yesterday I thought about, I don't know, I was in the shower and I had a weird day. I had about 20 meltdowns. It, It was great. It was epic. Totally great for the mental health, for like the drainage of the system. The, the drainage of the eyeballs and uh, yeah just it, it was like an epic day I managed to turn it around eventually at like 7 p.m <laughs> nobody cares but in the shower I don't know why I was thinking about like well I know why because I was chatting with like my family in Serbia and kind of like how unemployment is even shittier how everything is just sad and every time I speak with people back home it is just so like tough because of everything like how COVID is actually affecting it 20 times worse than, like, than it is in the US or here, even though people are losing jobs. But here, at least, people, some people are furloughed. Like, you know, there are schemes, there's government schemes to like get some payment at least. Back home, it's just nothing. It's just sad. So, in the shower, I was kind of picturing like the map of the world. How if you have family in different parts of the world, like you will hear kind of different stories, like you will get def- different energy when you speak with them. And I don't know, I picture like East is like super ambitious and they're just about like appearances, just about ambition. So like you will have very much that vibe and that will kind of be the concentration and the focus of of the cause if you have like family from there. It's like Australia, Europe, Africa, South America. So like kind of like the middle of that map will just be people in just poverty and just have a different, very great spirit, very like resilient spirits, but also very hard and just heavy like outlook on life in general when you speak to them. And then you have the U.S. and the West where they're like, hey, like, listen, we balance out mental health, but we also try to have, like, job security. But we are just weird and wild in general. Yeah, I have no... Why did I say this? Why did I say any of this? What was the point? Where did this fit into the text? Okay, she was administering the medicine. Yeah, unemployment. Yeah, did it give you any, any stats? Any further information? No, of course not. Gave you my shower thoughts. So what more can you expect out of this podcast? Let's discuss now a bit about how did this happen in the first place? Like, you would probably think, you know, it's, it's Bucky Palace, right? It's pretty secure. It's protecting, like, the queen and the royalty. Even if it was 1982, why did they ignore the alarms, for example? That was, like, my first thing. So the examination of this incident, because of course it went to the police, it uh, revealed that there was a series of failures that contributed to the outcome. So of course, it's not like, hey, let's blame it all on one person. It's a couple of things were fallible. So the alarm beam was in the wrong place, apparently. It was not working properly. So in this place, like an additional alarm beam, you know, if one runs out of battery, the other one can work, would have been useful. And then they were like, okay, cool, now let's let's have an additional one once they discover this shit. Also, devices could have been employed to make it more difficult to climb up the drain pumps. It's a freaking palace. How did he climb it up like it's a completely normal household? Windows should have also been properly secured. Yeah. Why was the window open at, like, 7 in the morning? Who the fuck, like, didn't lock the windows during the night? 
And do you know how this household, how many maids do they must like, must have? Also, there needs to be a police officer there in that private apartments area at all times. No, just like, oh, we're switching guards. So one is walking the dogs, the other one is somewhere else. We'll come back eventually. And apparently at that time, the wiring of the alarm button connected to the, from the police control room from the Majesty's bedroom, so from the Queen's bed. Remember how she first tried to ring the police? Well, that was only partially connected. So that's probably why the police didn't even respond to it. Because I kind of refuse to believe that the police would just be like, I know it's the Queen, we pick up and we don't never go to check it out. So those were some wiring problems there on top of that. In the aftermath, the level of police controlling outside the palace was kind of considerably improved. And there was a fixed post that was established at the ambassador's entrance as well, because they kind of realized, like, hey, he very easily got here. Let's change this drain pump and put an actual person in here. And now there was a 24 police presence in the corridor by the private apartments. Five uninformed... um, Five uniformed... Uninformed... (laughs) Five uniformed inspectors. I just... It's like, imagine the plot, it was like uninformed inspectors, like, you don't know what this house is, we don't know who you are, it's, it's great. It's like, you don't know who you're protecting, you're uninformed. If somebody comes in, you tell them this is not Buckingham Palace, we got it, got it. So yeah, five uniformed inspectors have been posted to the palace so that the inspector duty officer can be present at all times. And they also improved and reviewed how, like, the emergency from Her Majesty herself, like, from her bedside, is responded to. So the total cost of the recommended measures for all of the residents was estimated at some 2 million, and the funding was just made available. They were like, nope, like, we need to improve on this, like, fuck, it is the queen herself. So, I mean, hey, Michael Fagan actually brought, like, some good to it. Otherwise, maybe they, maybe even today you would have, like, certain issues. Maybe even today somebody would be able to break into Buckingham Palace and that would be a lot more of a scandal than it ever could have been in 1982. Hello from the other You must have been a thousand times. They also made improvements to the main structure alarm and the control systems. And they also, like, changed kind of the doors and turned it into this emergency remote control locking system so that not anybody can just walk in as and when they wish. But I don't know about you, but I find these things to be super strange when they suddenly have to change it and then they share with the public about 90% of what they have done. And I always wonder, how do they not realize that that kind of makes it worse? Like, people now know, like, how many people are patrolling, like, their personal chambers or, I don't know, like, any part of the palace, you're like, are you sure that this is the way to proceed? Because <laughs> if somebody kind of actually reads, you know, like, the report from Scotland Yard in full, pretty sure if they know the map of the place, or if they contact Fagan, that certain things like personal rooms would have never changed. Like, where Queen resides will always be where the Queen resides, right? Or maybe maybe I am wrong. But I would have thought like, hey, those personal chambers will always have those rooms in the right connection. So is it, is it really safe that we know this much about the Buckingham Palace security and what has been done for it to be improved? Because there's weird, weirdos out there. Now going back to our man Michael Fagan sitting and drinking his grouse, 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 whiskey. Yep, he's drinking his whiskey, very famous brand, sorry for butchering your name. He's drinking it and he's just like, cool, I might uh, get myself arrested. And uh, 
Yep, he does. The police goes and arrests him. However, at that time, trespassing was a civil offense rather than a criminal one, which is wild. It's 1982. This is not like 1882. No, it's like uh, very close to today. So Fagan wasn't charged for his unwarranted entry. He was charged for the theft of the bottle of wine. They were like, okay, we need to like charge him with something like this. Fucking... <laughs> monarchy is a travesty like what is this like we need to g- give him at least one slap one charge on he made i was later acquitted by a jury <laughs> just love this jury i need i need to interview michael fagan because how like he, he must have like charmed the jurors be like well i just want to see the queen like you can understand i'm gonna do a minisode of the people's obsession with just royalty in general just to understand the psychology of it because there's a couple of points i'm gonna mention in this one but um there's uh there's more <laughs> There's, there's enough material for a minister, so yeah, that's gonna come, like, next Friday, I think. However, Michael obviously wasn't doing really great due to being, well, unemployed, and then also, um, also, like, fighting for, like, the custody of the kids, drinking at the time, so after stealing a motor vehicle months later, he was asked to spend time in the maximum security psychiatric hospital, and then he spent, I think, three months from what I read, and he was released in 1983. It said Fagan walked free, much to the chagrin of conservative politicians who fear the impact his release may have. They're probably like, somebody was probably watching you, Macon. Like, Fagan, listen, I'm sorry to tell you if you haven't realized this, but there is a great chance that somebody must have been watching you and following you for at least about a year or a couple of years after you were released, just to check that you're not coming like into the vicinity of the Buckingham Palace. Well, I'm imagining, like, you know, the high-tech security that they must have, whatever, because it's still a Buckingham Palace, right? Even even probably the introduction of the automatic doors was like, whoa, this is like, we, we use these old Victorian doors. Like, we don't want automatic doors. I'm imagining that prison break scene and the last prison break. Lisa, we watch prison break. I don't care. If it had 20 seasons, I would still watch it. If it had 40, I would, every single season he's breaking out of a different prison, I'll be like, how is he still alive? I'd watch it. I don't care. <laughs> but the last season was so shit and so predictable. And then it had that moment with like the tattoo is like drawn on his on his arms. And Schofield just passed this new whole high tech security door, just pretending like he's holding his arms like this. And there's like somebody else's face tattooed on them. And we were all like, "Yeah, that's totally viable. Yeah, I'm buying what you're selling. He most definitely would be able to do that. It's not like high tech and measure like body temperature or some shit and realize that this is not a real human. It's an outline of a human face and somebody's hands. So yeah, I feel like Fagan might have, you know, if he escalated to today's point, he might have attempted something like this. As the aftermath of the event, the Home Secretary, Willie Whitelow, also offered the Queen the resignation, but she didn't accept. I put they should resign purely because of their name. Wow. (laughs) But imagine, like, how much respect can you get as a Home Secretary called Willie? (laughs) People are like, yo, this is like a bullying joke from like a first grade, like, how are you a Home Secretary? Lisa, I believe you have done a great job, sir. Was it a sir? Is <laughs> William a guy's name? Probably it's because conservative England. Margaret Thatcher was the only person, like the only female in the parliament, so yeah. Now let us go into Fagan's background to see when when did it become the point of no return for Michael Fagan? Was there a point of no return? Or was this just like one of those things that he has done on a whim? Everybody's been drunk enough. Michael Fagan just thought, you know. 
while I'm drunk, I might as well see the royalty, see like how the kings and queens of this country have lived. It's only righteous. We all deserve it. <laughs> there are people that actually think that. It's cool. So Fagan was born in Clerkenwell in London in 1948. He was the son of Ivy and Michael Fagan. <laughs> I, cannot, I have not read this slide properly. He was a steel erector. No, Google. Google. Steel. <laughs> I am a five-year-old child. Steel? <laughs> Don't cry. <laughs> erector. He erects steel. It's logical. Steel erector. Iron worker. How was steel erector? I, I can see why you would change the name of the occupation. So yeah, an iron worker assembles structural framework. I can totally see. I can see the exact age and somebody just laughing like this when they said them their occupation. They were like, I feel like we need to change the name from steel erector to anything else. So yeah, he was a steel erector. <laughs> And the champion safe breaker. This is Wikipedia. Somebody just... Michael Fagan, did you write this for yourself? He had two younger sisters, Margaret and Elizabeth, which is so weird. <laughs> I also genuinely think that this is still... Uh, it is still written like by Michael Fagan. It was, uh, like, were your sisters' names actually Margaret and Elizabeth? Cool. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. So, in, 18, in 1966, he left home at the age of 18 to escape from his father, who Fagan said was violent, and then he started working as a painter and decorator. And in 1972, he married his wife, Christine, with whom he had four children. So, when we meet Fagan is when he is out of work, painter and decorator, with convictions for heroin dealing and a number of petty crimes. He was struggling after the breakdown of his marriage, and Christine only left him weeks earlier before he tried breaking into the Buckingham Palace. Actually, there are details that he made 12 trips to Buckingham Palace that year, and that he was long obsessed with the Queen, and he even told his mother he was visiting his girlfriend, Elizabeth Regina. And Regina, obviously, is Latin for, like, Queen. So, <laughs> so... Do people find it weird? Okay, let's say for one second that his sister's name were actually Margaret and Elizabeth, which is funny because it's the name of the royalty sisters. Cool. Would people not find it super weird when you date somebody who is also named the same way as somebody in your family? Do you find that completely normal? Like last week I covered the Lonely Hearts killers and I mean, okay, that was a different situation. She was pretending to be his sister, but they were actually fucking. It's great. But <laughs> like completely different, wild story. Listen to it. Make sure you tune into that. Uh, but uh, do you normally, does anybody out there, please tell me that I'm disturbed. Yes. Please tell me that people can happily date somebody who has a name of like, their mother or their sister, and they don't find that weird at all. Because I do. <laughs> I'm five, mentally, as we established right now. So with these triggers, we come to the very neglected first break-in. So this is the June break-in, when he again admitted he climbed the drain pipe, entered the window on the third floor, and also was spotted by the chambermaid, who immediately ran off to alert security. But apparently people have searched, but he already skedaddled, he already went off. And this is when apparently he was also trying different royal thrones for the size and the comfort. <laughs> he said, like, Goldilocks and the three bears. I don't get the reference. You, you get it. Goldilocks and the three bears. Mm. Goldilocks is a fairy tale. <laughs> okay, it's a fairy tale. And is everybody British rolling their eyes right now? Probably. 
Okay, it's a fairy tale, and uh, yeah, it is quite literally about the girl with the Goldilocks and the three bears that are creepily around her bed. God, this looks creepy. Okay, yeah, so that's that. <laughs> so obviously he pissed on the corgi's food, never forget that part of the story, and view the Queen's art collection before setting up camp in room 108, where public gifts were expected for the royal baby, Prince William, and that's where the gifts have been stored. So this is where he took the bottle of wine and then was apprehended. So again, as you can see, we have like kind of two versions of events. I, I prefer the bottle of wine story to like him actually checking out the gifts for Prince William. That's just creepy. It's just creepy. Sorry, fucking creepy. It wasn't how I would have imagined it. I don't think people imagine it the way it is. Dusty and squeaky floorboards. Very ordinary. No, I don't think they spend too much on sort of decoration. Maybe they have it done up, man. And maybe it was due a redeck. Passed a few doors. And I came across a throne room. And they, they evidently do the knighthoods in there and whatever. Went in there. That was quite interesting. I had a little sit on the throne. I'm walking about willy-nilly, actually. I'm not hiding. Didn't you see any security staff? No. No, not up to now. Not up to this point. Went into Prince Charles's private secretary's office. I found out later. And um, there's all these presents around the walls. Presents that people send in from the far reaches of the globe. You know, sort of teddy bears and cups. And uh, there was this bottle of wine from California. And I was so thirsty and I couldn't find a tap. I didn't actually intend to steal anything. I took the bottle down from the shelf and I... Couldn't find a corkscrew. I was sitting on the desk with my feet up. Pushed the cork into the bowl and drank it out of the bottle. And then all of a sudden I thought, my God, where am I? I'm in Buckingham Palace. Oh, no. What am I doing here? I mean, it was just like, was, as if your brain had arrived in a TARDIS. To, it was, to, you know, and I get out. So as I walked out into the passageway, I saw a security guard with a dog. And I looked around the corner and I stood back. He went into a room and I found my way out then. I made my way downstairs, out the window, across the, the, the grounds at the back and over the wall. And then I'm walking up the mall five minutes later. And I thought, as I got to sort of towards Nelson's column, he said about this it was harder to get out than to get in i eventually found the door and walked out into the back gardens climbed over the wall and walked down the mall looking back and thinking oh i hadn't thought about going in there until that last second when it came to my head to do it so i was shocked so he was kind of impressed. He was like, I literally was just in Buckingham Palace, like, the fuck? Like, how did this even happen? So he realized he must complete, accomplish his dream over and over again and go back in the next couple of weeks. And after his life of breaking into the Buckingham Palace, he, in 1983, and this is, again, speaks to his character so much, he recorded a cover version of the Sex Pistols song God Save the Queen with a punk band called the Bollock Brothers. Great name for a band, great name. And certainly Michael Fagan isn't the kind of man to fade quietly from the public eye. 
He even made a record, a version of the Sex Pistols song, God Save the Queen. God Save the Queen. But in 1997, he was in prison for four years after he, his wife, and their 20-year-old son were all charged for conspiring to supply heroin. Again, I think this is only like one account, so sorry if that's not correct. Although, mm, he sort of stayed in the circle of fame by his appearance on the Channel 4 The Antics Roadshow, which is apparently an hour-long 200... 2011 TV documentary directed by the artist Banksy charting the history of people behaving oddly in public. I wish I was not there. What would I be doing in public? <laughs> Just walking and talking to myself. So that's not odd enough, Maya. <laughs> that's like most of the people. Yeah, you tell that to yourself. Like, yeah, most of the people just walk and talk to themselves. That, yeah, that's totally normal. Totally not a sign. You should be in, like, Broadmoor Hospital free. Eventually, he was actually granted the custody of the four children and they divorced. And this year, he was in the news, well, A, because of the crown and because he said it was incorrect and the guy was ugly. But also, he contracted both COVID and then he suffered a heart attack in this year. So, Fagan, hope you're doing great. <laughs> and of course, Daily Mail actually published this as his CV, which I'm not going to read into. I'll probably put it on the screen because it just... <laughs> Don't understand. This is how I should be structuring these episodes. Not instead of a background being no no no, this is his CV. He's born there. But why would the CV care where he was born and shit? Surely it would only start at a certain point. Yeah, I'm not gonna structure my episode like this. Wow, wow, you have seen the, the thought process, the decision process right here. Executive decision. I have brought it just now, and you have seen how I have arrived to it. It usually does take exactly that long for any decision that I bring for this podcast. And yet, I wonder why I'm not like super famous. Because no time, no time. It's no time to waste on the executive decisions. So we come to the, to the core, the core of this pod, and that is what were his motives, what motivated Michael Fagan on that early morning in July. So it's July, it's pretty nice weather in the UK, and you're like, why? You just woke up and you were like, no, I'm going to fetch the bus, go to Buckingham Palace, break into this motherfucker's house. Obviously, Fagan was questioned about his motives, so on that he said in a 2012 interview for The Independent, I don't know why I did it, something just got into my head. And then reminiscing on that first break-in, he said, I went back because I thought that's naughty, that's naughty that I can walk around here. So yeah, that's creepy. Don't use the word naughty. Like, please, just use it in your private space. Never use the word naughty in public. Mm -mm. Also, another portrayal on the crown from everything I have read is that that first break-in wasn't public. Well, on the crown it was portrayed like it was, and they said that that's you know, the Buckingham Palace was broke in, but from everything I have read, it seemed just like he came in, he left out, and only one person kind of later was like, oh yeah, I have seen this guy, you know, I just thought like he belonged there, I guess, what the fuck. And then when they looked into the alarms and all of the alerts, they were like, oh yeah, there was an alarm on that day as well, and they were like, yeah, drain pipe. Drain pipe is how he gets there. But later in that same interview for The Independent, he suggested that it must be the magic mushrooms that made him do it. 
said, I forgot you're only supposed to take a handful. Two years later, I was still coming down. I was high on mushrooms for a long, long time. Wait, we feel you. We're all high on one thing or another. I'm not, Lisa. I don't condone what you done, Michael, okay? It makes it sound like I do, but it's just a funny character. I just love it. But was he obsessed with the royals? Just like a lot of people. You know who I found most bizarre? When it's people who are not even connected to the UK in any way, shape or form. Like a friend from back home has to watch like all of the fucking documentaries. Then, yeah, I have a friend here who is also just super obsessed with like Diana's story and everything around it and has again watched everything on it. And I'm like, but how how did you get that obsessed and like what is driving it because there's different reasons again that drive other people's obsessions for michael he said it didn't have anything to do with fame but because it made a good story he tells he still today tells this anecdote to his kids how he broke into the buckingham palace and the kids are just like oh, yeah dad sure it's like the ultimate dad joke it's like oh yeah yeah something like my dad would say it's like hey did you know one day yeah in 1982 i broke into the buckingham palace and the child is like sure you did dad yeah let me go and tell all of my friends how cool my dad was and he's like no but i actually did like i did it particularly for this anecdote like i wanted to be popular in your eyes the real sufferings of this world You're the bloke that broke into the palace, aren't you? I don't go. I never, ever shout up girls with that line. Never. I use it for fun. I use it for a laugh, but I don't use it as a chat-up line. I had a friend. He used to use the chat-up line. Oh, guess who this is? Um, and I've, I've had that before, and I actually look over my shoulder because I think they're actually talking about someone else. I don't talk. Oh, and he say, that's Michael Fagan. So you've got no regrets or no conscience about having done it? I, I actually do have regrets, yeah. My father had a heart attack over it because he took so much stress over it. Yeah, I do have regrets. I'm fearless. And that's what dads are supposed to be. Sarah's in her first year of school. So I said, that, uh, Dad broke into Buckingham Palace. And she just turned around and said, yeah. And your dad hasn't, has he? How much do you enjoy the notoriety of it? I'd be quite happy if it hadn't have happened. So you didn't do it for the 15 minutes of fame? No, no. You can have the crack of it, as the Irish say, you know. You, can... you mean it makes a good story? It's a good story. And I've met people from all over the world. And they're fascinated by the story. I was talking to a fellow from Turkey yesterday. And he'd read it in his paper. I mean, all over the world people read it. I think everyone's got a story to tell. Mine just sort of like is the story that went worldwide. And then we have all of that plot about him telling, well, his mom that he is visiting his girlfriend, Elizabeth Regina. And Fagan's dad, because this is a family of characters. Fagan's dad actually said, like, when they asked him, like, do you think your son is like a royal fanatic? He said, I think he would have... I think he would have put the queen at ease straight away. He could smooth talk anyone. 
But on that note, like, was he obsessed with the royals? In a different interview for uh, BBC Radio 4, famous for 15 minutes series. Wow. <laughs> I love how he was like, fuck it, I'll still go, I'll still do it. So in this 1992, 1993 radio interview, he said, the queen to me represented all that was keeping me down and my lack of voice. I just wanted her to know what it feels like to be just an ordinary chap trying to make ends meet. So I guess the episode did portray that particular fact as well as, you know, how it fit into the disagreements between Margaret and the Queen and, yeah, just the state of the country in one individual story. So I guess the essence for the episode was there, but then they didn't actually confirm a lot of things with the guy. But then, come on, if you were to contact Michael Fay, like, about the biggest show, right? Because this is, what, famous for 15 minutes, right? It's a different kind of show. But like, hey, this is The Crown. Millions of people are watching it. Tell us your story. You don't think he would have embellished it? Come on, Michael, we, we, we both know. We both know. He would have embellished the shit out of that story. Cool. Then when it comes to these obsessions with royals, and in Michael's case with the Queen, they have, in the interview for The Independent from 2012, they kind of said, like, hey, um, because this interview was published a few months before the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, they said, hey, Fagan, what do you want to wish to say to the Queen if she's watching, reading this? Most definitely will be. He said, I hope she lives to be a hundred. If she does, I'll send her a hundredth birthday telegram. I'm, I'm sure she'll be thrilled. <laughs> the age of hundred, the highlight of her life will be to receive your telegram. But sure, you, you do you, Michael. So, from the psychological point of view, people that usually do obsess with any members of the royal family kind of can fall under a label of parasocial behavior. And this is when you create a one-sided relationship where you become attached to a person without ever actually interacting with them in any meaningful way. So, it's kind of like when you have a crush when you're 15 and you're convinced that that person loves you, but you have never actually like spoken to the person. Or it's my relationship with Michael B. Jordan. It's it's one or the other. <laughs> I would never. I would ne- I wouldn't know what to do with Michael B. Jordan. It's okay. We'll meet one day, Michael, and I will not know what to do with you. Okay, move it. <laughs> Parasocial behavior could include becoming emotionally invested in your favorite television show or a sports team. Or, say, in the lives and dramas of the royal family. It's mostly logical. You see them constantly on television. You get attached to these different characters. Like, I got attached to the actress that portrays Camilla, not Camilla herself. Because they have all seen, listen, I just see the beauty and I appreciate the beauty. I'm not obsessed with <laughs> But there is definitely a part of your brain that switches, because I have been thinking about this, obviously, the whole week. There's definitely a part of your brain that just is switched on to this or is completely tuned out like me. Like, I'm doing it now for the podcast because I know, like, people will be questioning different bits when they're watching The Crown. But at my workplace, when it was Meghan and Harry's wedding, like, people were losing the shit. They had it on multiple screens. And I was just there, like, (laughs) doing work and listening to, like, my own podcast and, like, whatever I had on Netflix to watch that day. And they were like, but look at the wedding dress. I would pop in and be like, cool, nice wedding dress. They're like, why are you not watching the ceremony? And then, like, why are you watching the ceremony? Like, why do you have to have it there? Why do you have to feel, like, present? Or, again, because I'm here, like, 11 years now, however long. <laughs> it's too long. But, yeah, I'm in the UK, so I witnessed... What was it? Was it previous wedding? Anyways, I'm not even... This is 
how much I don't care that I know that I have witnessed apparently another wedding and people have also like had like a day off I think this was when I was in baccalaureate so like 2009-2010 whatever happened then could have been a funeral I don't know <laughs> it was one of those royal events and yeah people have also like tuned in and everybody watched it I was just there like can I do something else like what is the point so yeah I definitely think it's like a part of the brain that you need to switch on to actually like it and follow it obsessively but then I do that with other things so and maybe it's just the interest as well is it the interest cool or there is one other thing that again not going too much into detail the psychology of it because I'm leaving it for a minisode but it is why people do all of these things it is to feel comforted so it's actually a neurological response of relaxation that occurs in us when we see the queen the granddaughter so like you see kind of like the whole family and there's something like comforting to you about it about seeing how everybody's growing up how everybody's interacting with each other how everybody's like safe and they represent like a british monarchy right so you think like hey if they're safe i'm safe you know god save the queen all of that but for me, what everybody avoids to like mention this, and I don't think that Fagan himself has seen it in that way, it's that the queen was the target. So it's usually with in, in those cases that people do obsess with one family member. And here Fagan it was definitely the queen. Like he was going around different places. He could have gone to Diana's room, he could have gone to Charles's room, he could have gone to any of these rooms and just chilled out there until he was caught he went for the queen's room in particular he pissed in corgi's face went into the queen's room and he tried to like speak to the queen later when he spoke he spoke about the queen about her little feet going outside of the room he wished she lived to the age of the hundred, so he sends her a telegram in any single way elizabeth regina when he spoke about his girlfriend in all of these situations he's not referring to any other members of the family so I feel in every single instance, like even when it comes to like my friends that are heavily obsessed with different royal family members, I think again there's something in the psychology of it that you can only get particularly attached to a certain character and then everything else is kind of like family, right? But you are particularly attached to a certain family member and you obsess over them and everything else is like, yeah, that's happening because they are in their life. So there's a particular fascination, particular target. And then something just switches in your brain and you're like, I must, must feel comforted by this person's life. I must interact. Wh what do you think motivated Michael Fagan? Let me know. Drop an email. Let me know. D DM me. D drop the comment down this YouTube video if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not, uh, please do. It's like a free way to, to, to support it. Plus you have the visuals, you know, because everybody watching podcasts usually kind of doesn't have that visual mediums that's why I introduced it to on YouTube as well because then you don't have to like actually look up people because we all know you're curious cats and you want to look up those people once you listen to the episodes and then and then you have everything if you click on that YouTube link you have everything and if you do watch it only on YouTube make sure you subscribe on different platforms because uh, this is the month full of royals why do people obsess with them why do they get attached who do they get attached to what is their problem but now, oh, oh, Lord of Edinburgh. Who is? Is there Lord of Edinburgh? It's the Duke of Edinburgh. Cool, now listen. 
<laughs> I did not say I was an expert. I never said I was an expert. You're going into your next Zoom call. And what are you doing in there today? Well, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's depressing. When is this episode coming out? Will the lockdown be lifted? Let me check. I know the times. I know the cal- calendar is in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. It's coming out. <laughs> I'm just... Sorry, I have just... I have had to... to <laughs> it has come to my attention that November, yet again, yet again, this comes as a surprise right now. You have caught me while I'm recording it. November has five Mondays, so that means that the Kelly Lane one We'll have to come out on a Monday instead of being a minister. It's it's all cool. Listen, it's so cool. It's so cool. I just avoid that whole part where I completely have known this. So this is coming out on the seventh of December. Wow, that is a long time. Unprecedented. I like yeah, listen. <laughs> So yes, this is coming out on the 7th of December. So yes, we will hopefully be in the lock out of the lockdown here in the UK and you will be in tears or whatever, depending on how COVID affected your area is. So <laughs> driving to the point, you go into the meeting and you check with people, have they watched the crown? Have they watched it? What do they think about it? Do they know about like whether what was correct, what wasn't? And then just be like, hey, so you know, like Harry and Meghan said, you know, all of these weddings, have you watched any? Have you watched, like, do you watch any proceedings? Mm-hmm. Why do you watch it? Who do you watch it for? Who is the particular person in the family that interests you? And then you start to spin the wheel and then you see their thought pattern. You're like, okay, why is it Megan? Why is it Harry? Why is it Diana? Why is it this person? Try to spin the wheel and then be like, hey, do you have like some parasocial issues? Do you obsess with somebody else like this? Or is it just royalty? Because I think like this is the my target for the month. This is my goal for the month. Differentiate between people who just obsess with royalty and like one person with royalty this way. And do they do it with like their TV series character or somebody else? And do they do it on the same level? Or is it just something about royalty? Does it make them feel safe? Does it make them feel like comforted that they're British and comforted because they see other family living safely and they're like, well, if they're safe, we're safe. Because in my head, that's not how life works. They're protected to certain degrees. Hey, somebody can always breach into their house as well. But, you know, there will be consequences now. So um, I personally, I don't like feel... Like, I obsess to death degree with any single person, like, from a TV series or somebody. Like, I know certain facts of certain people's lives because I would listen to interviews, but it was never, like, one particular fixation that I have known everything and have followed for, like, decades and shit. So, is it a specifically royal obsession that people are into? And does it only apply to royalty? And does it mean that there is a part of your brain... That's my whole point. Does that mean that it's a part of your brain that is wired to do this with one particular person, whether it is a TV series character or whether it is the queen herself? But until you question that, while you're questioning that this week, just always, always in the back of your mind, remember, you need to what? Keep making this world a better place. One motif. One motive at a time. Get my merch. Follow me on the socials at Bampod. Oh, yeah. Outro music. Always. Outro, 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 out
motives. This is from the Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Then Goldilocks, that little toad, that nosy thieving little louse, comes sneaking in your empty house. She looks around, she quickly notes, the bowls brimful of porridge oats. And while still standing on her feet, she grabs a spoon and starts to eat. I say again, how would you feel if you have made that lovely meal? I get it. I get life right now. Hmm. Bye, fuckers.